Amen. Indeed, we say, speak, Lord. Speak to our hearts. You may be seated, and I would ask that you would take your Bible and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. As you're turning in your Bible, you can let go of your children. They are free to go with Miss Laura right now. Um, They have their own Bible lesson that uh, Pastor Jason is going to be teaching. So kids, uh, I think, from first, second, and third grade are going to be going with some of our children workers. You can just head right back over that way. Uh, Miss Laura Carrera and the others are there. As As they are beginning to make their way there, let me just mention a few things to you. Number one, there are sermon outlines at the information tables. So we have a couple of information tables that are here. There's also water bottles right there if you need a drink of water. This is an outdoor service. We're a little bit more casual. If you need a sermon outline, because and let me tell you, if you don't have one, you need one. So just hop up and go over there and ask one of the folks, the attendants there, they'll give one to you. If you're online uh, with us, you can go to our website and download it, or you can open your app and uh, get to the outline as well. Why do we use an outline? Because we believe the Word of God is worth our careful attention. Uh, We believe that when we come to church, we need to learn something. Knowing God is uh, not natural to us. Um, He has given us a beautiful document that says from Genesis to Revelation, this is who I am, and this is what I want, and this is my love for you. Uh, That is the message of the Bible, and so we come to it to give our attention to it. Today is the last day of our fiscal year. Um, so I wanted the last Sunday of our fiscal year, uh, financial year, if, uh, if you haven't uh, given yet this morning, I want to encourage you to do that. You can do that by the app. We also have offering boxes here as well. We're about $14,000 short for the year, and we would love to make that up. So um, Adrian, if you want to make that up all by yourself this morning, feel free. Go right ahead. Um, but uh, it'd be great if we went over that goal. Uh, But let me encourage you, we want to finish the year, the financial year, strong as we go. Well, I don't know of a more appropriate prayer that we could have been led in than the prayer that Pastor Lucas has just led us in. You know, in the events of these days, we should be giving our heart up to the Lord. This is what God's people do in times of difficulty, is we, we look to God And we ask of him his wisdom and his grace and his power. And that's what Christians need to do in America right now. That's what Christians around the world need to do. You say, isn't that what we need to do all the time? Yes, but in times of difficulty, in times of crisis, in times where we realize that we really don't have it together, we need to look to God. And we need to allow the searchlight of his Holy Spirit to convict us. Uh, Wednesday night, we looked at John chapter 15, and it talked about the fact, it mentioned the fact that Jesus was saying, I'm going to go away, and I'm going to go away so the Holy Spirit can come to you, and he will come to you, and he will convict the world concerning sin, and concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment. Now, God's people need to be the people who listen to the Holy Spirit. And when he reveals in our hearts sin, we need to do one thing with that. Repent of it. That's what we do. We turn 
away from that sin. So Pastor Lucas prayed, Lord, search our hearts, know us, see if there be any evil way in us. If racism is in your heart, you confess that to God and you turn from it. And any other myriad of things in our hearts. Racism isn't the only sin of America. There's many other sins in America, too, that are very widespread and very inundating to our culture. Sometimes it's our obsession with things. Sometimes it's our being too busy for God. Sometimes it's being consumed with all of the here and now. So may we truly um, live by what Pastor Lucas prayed, and may God answer that prayer in our lives. Let's pray uh, before we run to Philippians chapter 4 right now. Father, we thank you indeed for your word. We thank you that we can turn to it and hear the words of life. Father, we thank you that the Creator has spoken. We, we sit on this beautiful grass. We sit under these beautiful trees, under the beauty of your creation, and we are so grateful um, for your revelation through the natural creation around us. But Lord, we're also grateful for the sp specific revelation of your word that tells us your name, that tells us your heart, that tells us how we can be redeemed and know you that tells us of the things to come. And so, Father, I pray that you would lift up our eyes to you, to your truth, and, Father, that we would come and learn of you this morning as we look at Philippians chapter 4. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look and see where we've been over the last few weeks. Hopefully you have some notes in front of you by, by now. Our message today is entitled, Replace Worry with Trust in God. We need to replace worry with trust in God. There's a lot of worry in our culture today. There's a lot of worry about a lot of different things, not only about the large seismic uh, social concerns that we see on the news with every, every day, not only about the biology of coronavirus. That, that's not the only thing that can worry us. There's many other aspects of life before these two things uh, that have come to great prominence in recent days that we tend to to worry about. And you know, it's interesting. If we were to survey this crowd and find out what are your number one worries, there would be a very long, diverse list. Some are worried about things concerning their own body. Some are worried about things concerning financial. Some are worried about things that re regard relationships around us, either to our parents or our siblings or to our children. There's many, many different worries that we can have. Well, as we've been studying spiritual stability, we see that God's Word deals very, very emphatically concerning our tendency to worry. One of the things I love about God's Word is it is so beautifully pertinent every day of our lives to our lives. It is so relevant to us. You know, our church doesn't need to go out and make up new topics to, uh, to explore and, and, and look at all of the philosophies and the ideas of men and be enticing uh, with all of those other things. The Word of God is so rich and so accurate and so relevant. If we'll just open it and read it and see what it plainly says, we will be ministered to by God. 
we will come more in conformity with Christ. And so that's what we do this morning. We come to this glorious passage of Scripture once again, maybe the fourth sermon, um, I believe third or fourth sermon on these few verses, but they are so rich, they're so powerful, they are worth our moments this morning. Notice here, we've been looking at the steps to spiritual stability for your life and for the church. This is written to the church at Philippi. They needed to be stable in Christ amidst their persecution, amidst their economic trouble, and listen to this, even amidst their social unrest as as citizens of Philippi. There were the haves and the have-nots. There were the Romans and the non-Romans. There were the Jews and there were the Gentiles. There were all kinds of division that came upon this church. And so they were learning how to deal with all of that division and the possible problems of disunity in the life of their church. And the Apostle Paul is dealing with it at both a personal level and a corporate level, or a a level that involves the corpus of the church. So the first thing that we've studied so far in chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, we see that we are to cultivate harmony with others. If you want a stable life, if you want a stable church, you must cultivate harmony. This whole chapter, this section begins on an issue of a problem between two women in the church. And what we saw here is that the whole church needs to deal with those two women's problem. The whole church needs to help them come together and love one another and remember their service to the Lord together. Number two, not only cultivate harmony with others, but number two, to maintain a spirit of joy in God. Now, we need to remember the last part of that, in God. You see, that's where our joy ultimately comes from. It's not just be happy. Do you remember the song, was it in the 1980s? It was, don't worry, be happy, every little thing is what? It's going to be all right. Don't worry, be happy, every little thing is going to be all right. Now that's kind of cool, except that every little thing is going to be all right only when we look to God. In fact, he is the one who brings even the troubles of this life to turn them and bring them to joy. Look what it says in our box on the page. Rejoice, what? In the Lord. Let's read that out loud together. Rejoice, what? In the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Verse 5, we looked at the next one. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Well, what does that mean? Number three is this. Learn to accept less than you are due. Learn to accept less than you are due. That goes against our flesh. That goes against our American mindset especially. But it can go against every human aspect of our thinking and our approach to life. Except that we see that Christ accepted far less than he was due. He came and he left heaven. He came to earth, laid down his life and was tortured for our sins, went to death for our sin that we might live. Notice this with me. Let your reasonable, under number three, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. You see, what does that mean? Your gentleness, your mercifulness, your magnanimity, your graciousness. 
That is what we so desperately need. And we notice, notice under this, the first bullet point is, this is the exact opposite of the cancel culture in which we live. And it's not only in the cancel culture of humans. Marcy and I have this little pond behind our house. And we will often, and you can even hear birds right now. They're, they're making a lot of racket, and they're, they're kind of all around. And sometimes they're real happy about things, and sometimes they're not happy at all. Have you ever noticed that? These cute little ducks that swim around in your backyard or walk up in your backyard, they look so innocent and so kind until you see them attack one another and fight with one another, sometimes to the death. You see, our world is filled with conflict from basic biology of the animal kingdom to the, the kingdoms of our own heart. There's conflict as a result of our sinful creation that has fallen into rebellion against God. I look forward to a day when a lion and a lamb will lay down together. You see, that is the beautiful picture of ultimate peace that God has designed. You say, how could that ever be? Well, if you just have faith in Christ and you wait upon his restoration, you will see it for yourself. But until that happens, we need to learn to accept less than we think that we are due. Because this is the exact example of what we see in the Philodin, in the life and saving work of Christ Jesus. That is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came and laid down his life for us. Notice number four. We studied this last week. Develop an awareness that God is near to his people. If you want stability in life, and if you want to see your church be stable, we need to have an awareness that God is here. We need to have an awareness that God is watching. We need to have an awareness that God sees our trouble and sees our struggle and that he is with us. We studied that, those words, the Lord is at hand. You see, God's nearness keeps us accountable to him. That's what we said last week. It keeps us accountable. We, we need accountability. Your children need accountability as they're growing up, and you need accountability as you're continuing on through life. Notice the next one here. God's nearness keeps us encouraged in him. So not only accountable, but encouraged. The fact that God sees me, the fact that God knows me, the fact that God sees my struggle and my hurt. What a beautiful, beautiful picture that he is with us and he is near. Well, this morning we come to verse 6. I want you to see verse 6, and it's either in the box on the top of the page or underneath number 5 there. We are called to replace worry with trust in God. We are called to replace worry with trust in God. And th this is really called to replace it with thankful prayer. And, and that's really what we see in this text, and fill that in with thankful prayer. Notice verse 6. Look what it says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, the fact of the matter is, is that we have a tendency to be very anxious. We have a tendency, without God in the equation, to be very anxious about our equation. 
And the world experiences this, this anxiety that can come, this worry that can come. It can be pathological, notice this on your outline, it can be pathological or it can be spiritual or it can be both. What do I mean by that? And I want to be real careful um, to deal with this correctly. Our physiology, that's our body, our biology, was made to work in a certain way. But because of the fall, because sickness, death, suffering has entered into the equation of the human experience as a result of our rebellion against God, we've been broken. And not only are we broken perhaps in our spiritual heart, but we're even broken very often in our bodies. I, I, I mean, just think about it. Every time you have pain, every time you have a joint that gets inflamed, every time you have um, a sickness, an illness, I mean, whether it's corona or cancer or, or just an injury to your body, you feel the brokenness of our circumstance. That's why we have doctors and we have nurses and we have hospital staff that seek to help us with our agonies, with our troubles, with our pains. That has to do with not physiology so much as it has to do with pathology. Pathology means something's wrong. The, bio, the biology is not operating correctly. The physiology is not working the way it should. And so when you have a pathologist at a hospital, what he's doing is he's studying the disease. He's studying, she is studying the problem and seeking to find a solution, seeking to find a workaround, seeking to find something that will bring healing. And so sometimes our anxiety has to do with the brokenness of our minds and the brokenness of our bodies. But also sometimes our anxiety has to do with a spiritual problem. It can, it can be one or it can be other or it can be both of them working in tandem to bring about anxiety in our lives. The more stressful our culture comes, the faster we move, the less time we have for rest, the more perhaps in subtle ways the envy and covetousness come into our heart, the more that marketing works on us. You know, marketing, the intention, I, uh, one of the things that I studied in business school was marketing, and I, and I enjoyed studying marketing, but one of the premises of marketing is you need to create dissatisfaction. If you create dissatisfaction when you are presenting something, you can get people to, to buy what it is you're selling. And so one, one of the ways in which this whole society works very often is playing against our needs and playing against even our desires that would create a dissatisfaction faction, and this can create more and more anxiety around us. So when we talk about the problem of anxiety, we're talking about something that can be perhaps wrong with our body as part of our fallenness, but also, very importantly, we are looking at the aspect of our spiritual hearts before God or both. You see, anxiety reveals a lack, very often it reveals, on the spiritual side, it reveals a lack of knowledge of God. 
Fill that in. It reveals a lack of knowledge of God. You see, if we really knew who God was and who God is, we would be much more prone not to be anxious about that if we have been redeemed by Christ. If we have been made right with him and we realize who he really is and what he's really said, we are far less likely to be anxious. You see, we come to realize that he is near to us. Already we've seen this in this passage, that the Lord is near. Now, what is that? How do we, how do we mean by that? As you study the Bible, as you study what God's word says about him, we find that he is omnipresent. Um, he is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere all of the time. The more you come to recognize that God is everywhere all of the time, that will help you greatly in recognizing that you do not have a need to be anxious. Look at the next one there. That he is aware. He knows all things. This is the fact that he is omniscient. Uh, you see there, omniscient, you see the word science in that. Science has to do with knowledge. And when we say that God is omniscient, that means that he has all knowledge. That includes all wisdom. He knows everything. He knows everything about your life. He knows everything about how the world works. He made it himself. He designed it that way. He knows about the problem of sin. He knows about the stain of sin. He knows about the stresses of sin. And he knows about the solution to sin. So when we come to be aware that he is near and he knows, we also can see in his word that he is loving. In fact, he is all-loving or omnibenevolent. In God, we see in 1 in John chapter 3 and in the book of John, we, the gospel of John, we see that God is love. It's his very essence that he is a God of love. This means that he has mercy and he is, has grace toward us. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he came and he joined us in our sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, this is ultimate love that one would lay down his life for another, especially a holy God. Not only do we see that he is near, aware, loving, but we see also that he is able. This is important for us to recognize, that God is omnipotent. That means he has all power. There is no power that he does not have. Now, as a Christian, as you begin to become more and more aware, more and more consciously convinced that he is near, he's aware, he's loving, and he is able, you see, your need to be anxious or the tendency for, to be, for you to be anxious can subside greatly because you recognize more about who he is. This is why when we are deeply anxious, it may indicate we have a lack of knowledge of God. Now, there are a few books that I would recommend to you. Number one, we've already quoted many passages in the Bible that tell us these things. But sometimes people write books that help us understand the Bible that much more. One of the great books that would help you with understanding who God is is a very small, short little book entitled The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. The knowledge of the holy deals with who God is and what he, the way he works. Listen to this. Here's just a list of some of the titles, some of the very short chapters that are in this. Number one, why we must think rightly about God. 
why we must think rightly about God. A.W. Tozer talks about the fact that we have to know God based upon truth, not based upon feelings or based upon societal impressions. We need to know what the Bible says about God because what you understand about God needs to be in line with the truth, not in line with either folklore or misconception. Even as we do that, we need to recognize that God is beyond our full comprehension. He is incomprehensible. He is, he is wildly beyond our, our greatest imagination, yet he has still given us knowledge of him. The divine attribute is something that is true about God. He goes through these divine attributes. The fact that he is three in one. He is self-existent. He is self-sufficient. He is eternal. He is unchangeable. He is infinite. He is omnipotent. He has divine transcendence in every way. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. He is fully faithful and perfectly good. He is just. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is loving and he is holy, set apart, and he is sovereign over all things. My friends, I want to encourage you to just see what the Bible really says about the character of God. As you study who God is, your anxiety will fall. Look at the next part that is here, and, and these books are available in the bookstore. I want to encourage you with that. The Pursuit of God, um, also The Holiness of God by J.I. Packer, um, others that are there, I, I want to encourage you to go and make a study of who God is. You see, anxiety not only reveals our lack of knowledge of God, but anxiety sometimes reveals a lack of trust or faith in God. Despite what we know, sometimes we can fall away to not trust or to mistrust in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, we see that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things that we haven't seen yet. God calls us to come to him and to trust him. We haven't, we haven't seen him yet, perhaps physically. We haven't seen him yet in all of his glory, but we are called to trust in his glory. We are called to trust in what he has said. Notice the next one that is here. I want you to notice as well. Anxiety sometimes reveals a lack of obedience to God. It's not just that we're having struggle, we're, we're struggling and trusting Him, but sometimes it's full on an attitude or an action of disobedience to God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. We are explicitly told to trust in God with all of our heart. We are explicitly told not to lean on what we understand. I love this in verse 6. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. That's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Those are worth committing to memory. So that when you are tempted to be anxious, when you are tempted not to trust in God, when you are tempted to disobey, you can simply look and see that God has called us to trust in him. Now let's see what happens as we trust in him. The problem of anxiety. How do we deal with the problem of anxiety? You can flip your page there and notice with me, we're going to see that. Problems come when we trust ourselves, fill this in, problems come when we trust ourselves too much and or our God too little. 
When you trust in yourself too much and you trust in God too little, that's when troubles come. That's when anxiety comes that will bring about a crisis of the peace of your heart. Now, James chapter 4 has to deal with the first one, when we trust ourselves too much. You may want to put a line around that ourselves too much to James 4. Notice what it says in James chapter 4 and verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord lives, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Verse 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. You see, so what we can do is we can focus so much in self-reliance in our plan and what we're going to do. You can come to operate perhaps even as a child of God, because this was written to Christians. James was writing to the early church, perhaps the first letter written to all of the churches spread around the Mediterranean world. He was writing to them and showing them, you're not making up the plan. God is. Now, we as pastors and we as spiritual leaders here in the life of the church, we are tempted to make up the plan as well, just like you are. But one of the things that constantly helps us not do that is seeing common mistakes that Christians make. Common mistakes where Christians go about making up, seeking to make up the plan of their life and leaving God out of the equation. Not looking to him in prayer, not listening to him in his word, not listening to the counsel of other brothers and sisters around them. Instead, seeking to say, I think I'm going to do this. I think I'm going to do that. I think I'll marry this person. I'll think I'll, I think I'll take this job. I think I'll move here. And just doing what seems best to us. My friends, that is not the way the child of God is to operate in their life. The child of God is to be prayerful and not, not be living our lives assuming that we know best, but knowing that God knows best and living by faith in him. And that's what this passage is talking about. Don't leave God out and wind up anxious. Bring God in and wind up peaceful. That's the plan of God. So each time that you and your wife or you and your husband or each time that you, perhaps by yourself, are making decisions about your life, I want to encourage you to not make those decisions in the vacuum of your own mind. I want to encourage you to be very, very careful to make those decisions with the full knowledge of what God is saying to you and the full knowledge of brothers and sisters and their wise counsel around you. Just this week, I was speaking with one of the young men here in our church. We've been working on a couple of surprises for the church, and it's been our privilege to be doing that, some of the guys, and one of the, th one of the young men, we were talking, and I just said, you know, Proverbs tells us that with many counselors, plans succeed. With many counselors, plans succeed. A young man, a young woman should not be making plans in a vacuum of their own mind and heart. 
and neither should an old man or an older person. We need to be people who look to God and listen to God. We do that through his word, we do that through prayer, and we do that through the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. So we can trust ourselves too much. But Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, and notice there, right out there to the side of Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, The Sermon on the Mount was Jesus' first big teaching where he set so many things about the whole message of, of his life and the message of his plan in order. And in Matthew chapter 6, we see this beautiful outlay of God saying, my children should not be anxious. My children should trust in me. Notice what it says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Therefore I tell you, read it out loud together, do not be anxious about your life. Okay, that was very weak. Everybody here in the Oak Grove, and those of you at home, say it loud enough that we can hear you over here at the church, okay? So let's read out that first line together again in verse 25, everyone together. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Wow. Jesus' first sermon is saying this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? I know that's a surprise to some of you. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? That's a surprise to others of you. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet, they, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Verse 27. In which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And here's the idea. In that day and time, they would very often cook on little tiny ovens. Um, sometimes a field oven where they would, somebody would bring the dough or they, they would be moving and moving about and they would, they would take uh, thatch from the field. They would take small sticks and grass and dried out, um, dried out weeds that would be there and they would bind them together and then they would use them for a, a kind of a small fire in an oven. And the idea was that some of those, some of those pieces that they were picking up that were dried out from the ground just a few days earlier, they had been beautiful flowers. Some of you have been to uh, the Middle East. Some of you have been to Israel. And you know that sometimes the fields can be absolutely covered with flowers. Just beautiful coverings with flowers after a rain. And then it dries out again and they're, they're, they're burned up. But yet, here we see that Jesus is saying, look at verse 30, but if God so clothes the, gra- clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Verse 31, read it out loud. Therefore, do not be anxious, 
saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and this means the people who are not of God, the, 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 the godless seek all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And then here it is again for the third time in verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God is saying, trust in me. If you want to be stable in your life, if a church is going to be stable in its life, we must see God as the source of our stability, God as the source of our need, God as the source of our hope. It's not in us. It's not in what we can do. It's what God can do. And this is the picture of looking and listening to God. So what is the answer to anxiety? What is the answer to anxiety? And it is this, to trust in God through thankful prayer. To trust in God through thankful prayer. And that's what we see in these verses. Um, I want you to just notice those verses up there at the top of the page. This is what he's saying. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And here it is. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So he's saying, trust me and, and call out to me in gratitude. Now, there's a few things I want you to notice here. Number one, notice the ultimate language that is used in this passage. Notice the ultimate language that is used. Look up there and circle these words in the passage. Look what it says. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. That, that means all the time. That's an ultimate word. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to who? everyone. That's not just some people. It's everyone. This means be gracious to everyone. Be patient with everyone. Be merciful as God is merciful to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about what? Anything. Circle the word anything. You see, this is another ultimate word. There is nothing that you or that I are to be anxious about. There is nothing that should come across our radar that causes us to not trust in God. Look at the next part here. But in what? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. That's another ultimate word. By, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And look what it says in verse 7. In the peace of God, and here's another superlative, here's another ultimate word, sur which surpasses all understanding. He, his peace is ultimate. It surpasses anything that can be explained. So we need to see the emphatic nature of this command, Sheridan Hills. You need to see this, yo, oh loved one, here in the life of our church that maybe is struggling with some issues in your heart and in your mind. You, you need to see that this passage is very passionate, that we would look to God and not run in anxiety. 
Notice the next part that is here. Not only the ultimate language, but notice the call to, and I put in quotes here, to really pray. And there's a reason I put in really pray. I, I like to use the word really. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm an expressive person typically, and when I'm writing, I can write a paragraph and it'll have several reallys in it, and then you know, I send it to Bernita and she says, we need to get rid of some of these reallys. And um, so, you know, we, but, but it's, this is, this is the picture that is here. And I, I want you to see this. This is beautiful what happens from the original language. Look what it says in verse six. But in everything by prayer, I've underlined that, and supplication with thanksgiving, giving, let your requests be made known to God. The first one is the Greek word uh, to pray. And the idea is to pray to exchange wishes. This is a, a standard word for prayer. Um, it can be passionate or it can be just a, a typical general understanding of that you are letting a request be made known. You're sharing a request with God. But then there's another word that steps it up a little bit. It's the word supplication. Now, we don't usually use that word very often. You don't go to somebody in Walmart and say, um, I, excuse me, I have a supplication of you. Where is the low-fat milk? I mean, that's, that's not what you do. You, don't, you, know, if you use the word supplication in English language in this modern day. People look at you a little bit strange. So we need to know what this means. We need to know where it comes from since the Bible uses it. The idea of supplication comes from a Greek word that means to be in want, circle the word want, or to be in lack. That means you're lacking something. You have a real need. This isn't simply a request. It's not simply um, a prayer. It's, it's not expressing just a wish. It's saying this is coming from a, a lack that I have. Notice the last part of that. It's a deep, personal, felt need. Now, in studying this word, look at what it says there, desis. Desis really is based upon the word day. And the word day is the word really. And so this idea of supplication is, it's saying, it, it, it is based in the idea of this is a real need. This is a real felt problem. In its, in its own expression, as a prayer, it is saying that this is a prayer that comes from lacking. You see, you see in that word supplicate, it's where we would even use the word supply. You know, what, 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 is the, what, what do you have supplies of? You have supplies of the things that you need. And so we see that we're called to come before God, yes, to express our wishes to him, but to also come to him with a fervency of this is our need. We could almost say that supplication has to do with begging. Supplication has to do with pleading. Do you pray like this, Christian? Church, do we pray like this together? Do we pray that God would come and work and meet needs? Do we pray that he would move in our own lives or in the hearts and lives of others? You see, it has to do with this picture of a real prayer. Now, the Pharisees were often known for praying in front of others. They were often known for praying to be spiritual. 
you kind of wonder how much was it a heartfelt cry to God. I hope that your prayer is more than a ritual religious act. I hope that when you pray, you really pray. When we talk about someone praying in front of the life of the church or praying in a group, when we talk about somebody who's new to our church or maybe a youth that's learning to pray and to lead in prayer, one of the things that I, I often say to people is, you're not praying to be heard by men. You're talking to God. And it should be the heart of everyone who prays from this pulpit or any place of recognition in the life of this church that we would truly pour out our hearts before God, allowing others to join us. We're not praying so that they would think more highly of us, more highly of our intelligence, or more highly of any other issue in us. What we're doing is we're expressing our hearts to God. We're not, Jesus specifically said, do not pray in order to be heard by men. Because when you do that, you have it. You have your reward right there. When we pray, we need to talk to God. Now, now I'm going to say that this applies to your, your mealtime prayers. I, Marcy and I were praying yesterday over a meal, and I was thinking about this very issue, that when we pray together, it's a wonderful thing to, to be in the habit of stopping to give thanks to God before you eat a meal. Part of the picture is, is that that should not be a perfunctory prayer. That should not be just something that you mindlessly do. That is a moment. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. You know, occasionally, Marcy has said, now, Andrew, we got to go. Um, you know, don't have your quiet time right now with me. Um, let's pray. Let's ask God's blessing upon this meal, or let's pray about this need that we have. It doesn't have to be a long, long prayer, but it does need to be a genuine prayer. Does that make sense? So notice this. This is part of what we see the Paul is pouring out to us is that we need to be people of real prayer. Notice the third bullet point there at the bottom of the page. Notice the call to express faith and gratitude through giving thanks. So we are called to express thanks faith and gratitude through giving thanks. You know, when you, when you pray, we are to supplicate, to prayer and supplicate with thanksgiving. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2, it also mentions this. Look what it says there at the bottom of the page. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, I know some of you have turned the sheet over, but don't miss the point. The picture is this, that our attitude of gratitude should come as a blessing to God amidst our requests of him. Because you see, when we give thanks for things, we are, listen, we are recognizing what he has already done. We, this is an important part of dealing with anxiety, these words are God's words. These words are true. These words are beautiful. He's saying, don't be anxious about anything, but with real prayer, which includes thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
And then what we'll study next week is, and the peace of God, which surpasses all human comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. This is real peace. This is the antidote to anxiety. Now, I know that sometimes we need to deal with the pathology of our bodies, and that means that sometimes there is medication, that some folks have a pathological need in their biology for help medically. But let me tell you that help medically without dealing with the spirituality issue won't ultimately help you. And there's sometimes when you need help medically that the spiritual aspect is blessed by God's grace through medicine. But we can't simply throw our anxiety, throw at our anxiety a pill. What we need to do is bring together God's grace in his word, in his truth, in his power in our lives. So there's this beautiful thing that God uses and brings together this. You know, there's some people that would say, well, I have all of these anxiety problems and I have all of these psychological issues and it's because of a lack of faith. Well, lack of faith may play into it, but let me tell you, your body may be off too. Our bodies are broken. And there's sometimes that 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 is a need. And there should be no shame that when there's a proven need in your your biology, it's okay to receive help from that. But let me tell you that that's not the only help that you should seek. The real answer in all of this is ultimately looking to God. And so the stigma of medication for psychiatric care is it should not be a stigma so long as we are looking in faith to God with worship in our life, with fellowship in our life, with growing in the knowledge of God in our life, growing in the care of the fellowship of the life of the church, that we have people who are encouraging us and moving us together toward him. This is a beautiful thing because this is ultimately the care of our minds and our hearts. Notice here with me on the back side of the page that gratitude is a powerful discipline. He's saying with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You see, gratitude is a powerful discipline. There's a lot of people that would think, well, gratitude is an emotion, Well, there are emotional parts of gratitude, and sometimes it is an emotion that we feel, but let me tell you, um, gratitude first is a discipline. It's first a decision. It's first a recognition in our minds of what God has done or the blessings that we have. So it is a powerful discipline, and it results in joy and peace. When you find somebody who is grateful, you will find somebody who is joyful. Now, they may not have happy circumstances. Like the Apostle Paul, they may be in a prison. But the prison is not dictating their emotions. It is their faith in God and their rest in what he has said that causes them to feel joy and, listen, peace. You see, 
gratitude is a discipline because it goes against our selfish, insatiable, that means cannot be satisfied, prideful, fill it in, flesh. Our flesh tends to be selfish. Our flesh tends to be unsatisfied. Our flesh tends to be prideful. You know, here's, here's part of the picture. Do you have to teach a child to be grateful? Absolutely. You, you know, it's amazing how many of you have spent much time telling your toddler, come here, come back here, and say thank you. You have to do that over and over and over and over again. You have to teach them the discipline of being thankful. In fact, if a child is never taught to be grateful, to be grateful, what do they do? If they've never been taught to express thanks, believe me, they won't do it. What they do is they, they just think, oh, you gave this to me because I deserve it. You gave this to me because I need it. You, I, I'm the center. It's not looking to where it came from with a heart of gratitude. You see, gratitude is godly. Look at Colossians 3 and verse 7, 15, 16, 17. Look what it says. Let the peace of Christ. See, all these passages are dealing very similarly here about peace. We're about to study that next week, but look what it says in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So to which indeed you were called and called in one body, written to the church. And be thankful. Do you see that? Be thankful. I didn't underline that on the outline, but I should have. Be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with what? With thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, look what it says, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see that gratitude, thankfulness plays a great deal into dealing with anxiety, into dealing with the desire for God's peace in our lives. So notice this, fill it in. Both Philippians 4 and Colossians 3 reveal that joy and peace are inextricably linked. They cannot be separated. They are inextricably linked to faith and gratitude. It's trusting God and and thanking God. That's what this is about. Do you want to be free from anxiety? Trust God and thank God. Look at what he's done. Trust in what he's said. Satan loves to throw a fog over a church. Satan loves to throw a fog over a Christian, causing them not to see what God has done. Satan loves to cause you to look at all of your need and all of your want instead of looking at all that God has done. Many of you know my father. My father was the associate pastor here at the Life of This Church for 28 years, a man of wisdom and grace, a man of great integrity. And my dad has always said that his favorite hymn is Count Your Blessings. This is my dad's favorite hymn. We will often be in the boat headed out to go try to catch dolphin 
or trying to go catch some grouper, some snapper or something. And there as the boat is moving along through the waves, my dad very often will be hanging onto the wheel or holding onto another piece of the boat. And there in the early morning, he will begin singing. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. The chorus says, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God has done, count your blessings Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Look at verse 2. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you are called to bear? Count your many blessings. Every doubt will fly, and you will be singing as the days go by. When you look at others with their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. You see, sometimes we can look at others around us and envy what they have. We can wonder why ours is not like theirs. Sometimes that can bring anxiety. And you remember dissatisfaction, the marketing of dissatisfaction. When you look at others with their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your many blessings money cannot buy, your reward in heaven, nor your Lord on high. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged. God is over all. Count your many blessings, angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Would you stand with me for prayer? Father in heaven, we so often are plagued by counting all of the needs in our lives, thinking about all of the wants, consumed with all of the hurts, instead of looking to you and what you have done. Lord, sometimes the burdens that we bear seem too great for us. We wonder how can we continue on. Sometimes the unknown in front of us can overwhelm us with fear. Lord, I pray that in each of these circumstances that we would be a people who learn to not worry, but to pray about everything. And with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to you. Lord, forgive us for our unbelief. Lord, forgive us for our lack of study. Forgive us that we maybe know all about our hobby or we know all about the things that we enjoy and we know little about who you are and what you've done. I pray that we would be pursuers of God, pursuers of the knowledge of God, coming to know the most holy so that we can trust him most fully. Lord, help us with this. 
with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask you this morning, have you lived in your anxiety more than you've lived in his goodness? Have you disciplined yourself to learn of him? Have you disciplined yourself to see what he's done and give thanks? The godly life calls us to look to God, to know him, and to trust him. Lord, increase our faith, I pray. Increase our faithfulness. And may we be characterized by the great joy and the peace that you give to all those who trust in you. In the glorious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you sing with us?